Good morning. If you're not already there, turn to the book of Ruth. I am, I'm Bob Burris. I was the pastor here a few years ago um, for eight years, maybe 21 years ago or 22 years ago. So it's always good to come back and to uh, be with God's people. And this morning we're going to look at Ruth and we're going to try to cover the whole book quickly and then do quite a bit of application. Um, Okay, there we go. So my wife and I work for Training Leaders International, as many of you know, and uh, we want to thank you for your prayers and your financial support. Um, Tuesday, I leave for India, and I will be gone around 12 days. We'll teach the Gospel of Mark to a group of eager uh, pastors and church leaders, mostly pastors, And we're teaching them the tools for understanding the Gospels so they too can preach the other Gospels. But we also will give them a good idea on on the content of the Gospel of Mark and how they can preach it themselves also. And so our goal as we go, and I'm going with a team of um, four others, maybe three others, um, is is to train them so that they can teach and preach um, the Word of God effectively. 85% of the pastors in the world, and it's probably more than that, have no training whatsoever. And so um, the preaching that happens across the world today many times is, is not the kind of preaching and teaching you will hear um, here at your church. Um, I was at Sunday school this morning. It's right from the Bible. It was wonderful. And so um, we want to thank you and um, thank you for continuing your friendships with us. It's good to come back and to see familiar faces and to be in contact with Tim and Lisa on a regular basis. So we'll be looking at the book of Ruth in my Bible. It's on page 335. Let's pray together. Our good and gracious Father, um, you have revealed yourself to us by your word. And, and your word tells us about your son. And so, Father, as, as we think about your word, we cannot help but think about your son. It is about your son. In these last days, you revealed yourself through him, and he has inspired by his spirit, your apostles and prophets, to give us your word. And so what we have before us um, is the inspired word of God, and we give you thanks. And we give you thanks that we can know the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ and what it means to have faith and trust in his name. So, Father, send your spirit this morning because without him we could not understand these things. They are too high and too wonderful. So send your spirit to us. Give us understanding of your law, of your book this morning. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So this morning, as we read through the book of Ruth, we will not be reading the whole thing. I'll have to skip some parts. There's a couple of words that you need to know. They're Hebrew words. The first one is shuv, and it's translated go back or repent, and it occurs 12 times in the first chapter. And so usually we do not do our understanding of the Bible by word count, but in this case, it is absolutely true that return or repent. It's also translated repent, go back, but we're going to think about it as a turning. This turning takes place in the book of Ruth, which should probably be entitled, instead of Ruth, Naomi. The book is more about Naomi and God's work in her life than it is about Ruth. In fact, the number one um, character in the book of Ruth who speaks more than anyone else is Boaz. Um, Ruth doesn't say relatively that much in the book, although she is a prominent person in the book. But most probably, we should entitle the book Naomi because it, 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 follows, it follows the faith of Naomi um, from the first chapter and the first verse all the way until the end. The other, ver- the other Hebrew word you should know and I usually don't do this, um, but the word is chesed, C-H. If you're taking notes, it would, you would write it C-H-E-S-E-D, chesed. And the best way that I remember, it is a short definition, loyalty to the highest point of devotion. But it's much more pregnant than that. Actually, what it causes me to think of is the, does anyone know the ten 
uh, the Boy Scout, not the motto, but a, a scout is trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly. Anyone know that? Friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. Excellent, excellent. Uh, I was a Boy Scout. So um, chesed is, is, is loyalty to the highest point of in devotion. It includes trustworthiness. Loyalty, loyalty to the end. Trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind. Kindness and goodness of God. And this chesed, it, it originates with God and then he gives it to us. And, and much more pregnant than the, this Hebrew word is the word um, that we find um, in the New Testament, where God pours out his grace on us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Certainly chesed, loving kindness in the Old Testament, points to Christ, but Christ in his grace. And he pours his grace out upon us, and then he gives us the ability as we serve and as we follow Christ to give this grace to others. And then what he does, and you can read about this in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, is he he pours out this grace on us, and then we take the grace he's given to us, and we give to others, and he gives us more grace, and more grace, and more grace. You know, in many quarters of the world, and we fight this everywhere we go, there's the gospel that's called the health and wealth gospel, that God wants you to be healthy and wealthy and have no problems whatsoever, especially the, the, the wealthy part. Is, it's truly infected Africa, where I go um, quite regularly. I'll be there in um, January, actually. Um, but they misunderstand God's grace. We are to follow in the footsteps of Christ. And as we saw this morning, a little bit from the book of Hebrews, he calls us to a life of suffering for him. We follow his footsteps. And it's a fellowship of his suffering, he tells us in Philippians chapter 3. So we got those two words. There's shuv, which is translated go back, return. But at the root of the word, there's a repentance. And we know that when we come to Christ, we turn from our sin and we turn to Christ. That's, that's what it means. And, and in the New Testament, faith and uh, belief and repentance. Repent and believe. They, they come together. They're two sides of the same coin. So this, this shuv word is very important. It helps us understand Naomi and then the word chesed because it under, helps us understand who God is. But also, we're going to find two characters in the book that exemplify this goodness, this loyal love, um, and show it to others, and then we see God at work. And so let's begin. Ruth chapter 1 and verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled. Now, if you begin the book of Ruth and you've just read the book of Judges, Judges is a very um, depressing book. Things just get worse and worse. God, God saves his people, and things are going well. They forget God. They fall into sin. God judges them. They repent. He brings up another deliverer, and there's a cycle that God's people go through, and they go through it over and over and over again until the last five or six, six chapters of the book of Judges. You've, you've read that recently about the book that the judge, the, the priest guy who gets... You read the last few chapters of the book of Judges. It's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. And so here we have in the book of Ruth a wonderful, encouraging story of a man and a woman of great loyal love and God working in the midst of great sin. So in the days when the judges ruled and things were really bad in Israel for the most part, there was a famine in the land. Who's in charge of the weather? Write down the text. Job 37, 13 whether for correction or for his world or for his loving kindness, he causes it to happen. The famine in the land of Israel would be an example of God sending famine to judge his people because they had sinned. There was a famine in the land. And, then, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah, Bethlehem, house of bread, where Jesus was born, he went to sojourn, he just went down for a little while into the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malan and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. And they went into the country of Moab, where they should not have been. God said, live in the land. If I send a famine, it's because you need a famine. Don't run from it. But they went to a land where they were told not to sojourn, where they should not have, should not have gone, and they remained there. 
They were there 10 years, actually. That's more than just a vacation at Yosemite. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. They not only dated non-believers, but they married non-believers. They were from Moab. They were not to marry outside of the nation of Israel. The name of the one was Orpha, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Malan and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. She's, we have an older widow, and she's left with two young widows. Things are bleak. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to, there's the word shuv, that new Hebrew word, to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. The Lord sends famines, and he sends food. And she hears down in Moab about how God is blessing his people, so she decides to return. That That's a very good decision. So she set out from the place where she was with her daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to, second time it occurs, to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, go, return, third time, each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly. By the way, the word kindly right there, that's, that's a chesed word, the Lord's loyal love to his people. She says, may the Lord, it's kind of a conflicting statement here, may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead, my dead husband and your, your, dead, your dead husbands, and with me, the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return, there you have it again, with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back. There's the word again. Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, no, my daughters, for it is as exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Now she's kind of right and she's kind of wrong. God is sovereign. She understands God's working in the famine and the, and the deaths of the three men. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Now, this is, this is something about Hebrew narrative and all the narrative of the Bible. We love to have heroes. And, you know, we, sometimes we're very careful about our heroes. But in this instance, Naomi is wrong. She encourages her daughter-in-laws to go back to the land of Moab and to the gods of Moab. That's just wrong. Now, I, I understand she's had a tough couple of years. Her husband is dead. Her sons are dead. She's returning. She's a poor widow. She doesn't have much hope when she gets back to the land of Israel. She's at the bottom of the social ladder rung, but it's still inexcusable. She shouldn't have done it. It's not, it's not one of the, the main features of the book, but it is a feature of the book. And it's one of the reasons I think the book should be called Naomi. Because if, most of you probably have read the book, and you know the end of the book already. We're going to get there. But the book is about Naomi and her, her faith. And at this point, it's not very good. She's, she's not doing very well. She tells them to return to their gods and to their people. Verse 16. Somewhere in the mix, Ruth becomes a Christian. Now, I know in the Old Testament, technically they weren't Christians, but I call them Christians. The Old Testament saints are saved in the same way we are, by looking forward to the promise, the promise of Christ. That's how Adam and Eve were saved. That's how Abraham was saved, and David, and all the Old Testament saints. They were looking forward to the fulfillment of God's promise as we look back to the fulfillment of God's promise in the Lord Jesus Christ. We just have a little bit more information than they had. It's, they saw it in black and white. Maybe Adam and Eve heard it on a crackling radio with tubes, but they heard it. They heard it. The seated woman would crush the head of the serpent. 
But now we look back in full HD, even with one of those cursed screens, and we're just amazed. All right. So let's see what Ruth says. Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or return. There's that word again. From following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people, they're my people. Shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried 20, 30 years after you. I'm going to be buried right by your side. Now that's commitment. That's loyal love to the highest point of devotion. That is trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. That's Ruth. She's got a commitment, doesn't she? Let's see what that commitment does. May, may the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Some commentaries on the book of Ruth said, Naomi gave her the silent treatment the rest of the trip. I don't think so. I just can't see two ladies on a trip not talking the whole time. Okay, <laughs> but let's go on. She said, probably said no more about returning. Okay, I see you're going to go. I'll leave it alone. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? It's been a while. You know, sometimes you see old friends like we did this morning, and you go, wow, you, you, you look the same after 110 years. No, you're thinking the same thing I'm thinking. Wow, he looks old. <laughs> and the woman said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Let me tell you this. If you belong to Christ, the Almighty cannot and will not and will never deal bitterly with you. Everything he does is for your good. If you could see it from his perspective, if you could just like up into heaven and look down and see what God is doing and arranging things in your life and the lives of others, you would say, oh, sorry, no, that's good, I'm good with it. Whatever the disaster is, whatever the difficulty is, you would 100% say, I'm good with whatever this difficulty is, if you could see it from his perspective, which one day you may. I mean, I, I kind of think when we get to heaven, the only thing that will matter is the face of Christ. I don't think all these other things that people talk about, no. You're just going to be amazed that he saved you and that you get heaven and you get to be with him forever. You'll just be amazed. Anyway, Naomi's wrong. She's just wrong. That's okay, though. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? Because the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. Yeah, that's true. That's true. He does bring calamity on us. So Naomi returned. There's that word again. And Ruth the Moabitess, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned. That's the twelfth time in the first chapter. From the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem. And then we have just a, this little sliver of hope right here at the end, at the beginning of barley harvest. Chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband. Oh. Good church person reading this would go, oh, the Leverite thing, the, the, re the close kinsman redeemer thing. We're kind of getting a picture here. I'll tell you more about that later. He was a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. He, his name was Boaz, the guy who speaks more in this book than anyone else. And he's related to, the, to Naomi's husband, who had died. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose favor I, in whose sight I find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So Ruth and Naomi, they, they don't know about this uh, Boaz guy. And, and, and they're there back in Bethlehem, and they need food, and they need sustenance, they need some money. And so Ruth asked permission from bad attitude Naomi. She says, is it all right if, with you if I go glean in the fields? And it was part of Mosaic code that when you, when, you plowed, when you harvested your field, you were to leave the corners. You were to leave stuff for the poor people. 
You weren't to be meticulous. And so what poor people would do, they go in after the harvesters and they would, and this is what Ruth is asking permission from Naomi to do, to go humble herself and do a poor person's poor widow's job and going through the fields and seeing if there's anything to eat, proclaiming to the world, we don't have sustenance, there's no man in our life, we're just trying to find enough food uh, so we don't die. And she said to her, go my daughter, verse three. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers and, uh, in my Bible, I have these next two words circled. She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the clan of Elimelech. What a great story, huh? She just happened to go to the field. Of all the fields out there, she just ends up at this field. Now, the book of Ruth doesn't contain the actions of God. There's no great miracles, there's, but you know what there is? There's a sovereignty of God in the ordinary circumstances of life. God is working. He is bringing Ruth because God knows the story. He's bringing Ruth. Yes, did, did Ruth ask permission? Yes. Did Ruth willingly go to glean? Yes. Did God pre-plan it? Yes. They're both true. God's at work. It just so happened. Do you, do you have any of those things in your life? Does it happen every once in a while? It just so happened. I don't know why I decided to do that, but there was this incredible situation, and I was able to share my faith, or, or I helped someone out, or... It happens to me all the time. I, I go to the gym, and I pray, and I ask God to bring me significant interactions with those who either are Christians and need to be encouraged, or non-Christians, or somebody, and sure enough. It should be a regular prayer of ours, by the way. Lord, help me to be sensitive to you and to do the good and the right thing as, as I meet people, as I introduce myself, as we talk so that I can be a person of loyal love to them. All right, let's keep reading. Where are we? That was not rhetorical. She happened. Okay, thank you. I've got it circled. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. Remember I told you there was two people of loyal love, two Boy Scouts in this story? And he said to the reapers, so th this guy owned the field. And he says to those working in the fields, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Don't you wish you had a boss like that? Usually we don't get one like that. So every once in a while we do. It doesn't matter. First Peter chapter 2. If you got a bad one, you're serving the Lord. God, God will bless you. Then Boaz said to the young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? There's a woman in the fields after you. Who is she? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She's a foreigner. She's not from Israel. She's not Jewish. She's from the land of Moab. She married that Jewish boy. And those three, you know, I'm sure that was part of the conversation. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? That kind of means what you think it means. Don't mess with this woman. She's under my protection. And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and she said to him, Well, I'm an American. This is what I deserve. How could someone cause me not to be able to glean? No. So this is not an entitlement culture that has infected Ruth. She says, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me? I'm a foreigner. I, I don't get this. I, I'm, not, I'm not really understanding this. This is not feigned humility. This is like, wait a second. I know I don't belong. And you're being nice to me. What is going on here? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. 
the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel. And this is the key, this is a key, probably a key verse in the book, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. She needed help, and so where did she go? She went to the people of the God of Israel. She went to the people of the God of Israel. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not re He went over and above, didn't he? He doesn't have to do this. He basically says, Let her kind of just be with you, and then just pull some out so she doesn't have to work so hard. So she he's, he's, He is like the Boy Scout of all Boy Scouts. He is showing this chesed that came from God, and God gave to Boaz, and God has given to Ruth, too. So, we're going to kind of sum up some of this. Finish the day, and he gives her a whole bunch of grain, and she goes back to Naomi, and Naomi goes, whoa, this is cool. And then, come, and, and then Naomi says, you know what? Uh, this Boaz guy, he, he is part of the family, and we have this thing in Israel where if, if your husband dies, his brother is, raises up a family for you, and it's called this Redeemer thing, Goel Redeemer. And um, so here's what you do, Ruth. You go to Boaz, and this is chapter 3. This is a cultural thing. You may not understand it, but this is what we do. Certainly in America, we would not do this. Men should ask women on their knee to marry them. But in this case, Ruth shows up. Boaz is asleep. He she sleeps at his feet, he wakes up, and she says, will you marry me? I'm paraphrasing. And he says, well, let's find out in the morning if it'll work. All right, chapter four. Read it on your own. Um, uh, there, was, there was no hanky-panky going on. There's a lot of ink been spilled on chapter three, or what's going on here. But Boaz and Ruth, it was all in the up and up. There was no difficulty whatsoever. It's just Ruth saying, hey, would you marry me? You're a close family member. And so we're on to chapter 4. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. Oh, I forgot to tell you. Bo there was a closer relative than Boaz. So it's like there's this really close relative, and then there's Boaz. So there's Boaz is second in line. So he's got he's to ask this first guy if he will um, marry Ruth and buy the land and take over as a kinsman redeemer, all right? So we went to the gate, sat down there, and behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. So this is going to be an official thing going on here. Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to your relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, if, if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. So you're thinking, oh no. I mean, the book of Ruth, there, I suppose there's some romance in it, but it's not the big deal in the book of Ruth. But, you know, as, as we read this story, we're going, we're rooting for Ruth and Boaz, aren't you? Aren't you kind of rooting for him? And then this other guy shows up, and you're like, oh, no. This guy's going to buy the land and marry Ruth and raise up a family, and Boaz, he's the, he's the Boy Scout here. But uh, you probably already noticed, Boaz gets a name, and Ruth gets a name, and Naomi gets a name, but who doesn't get a name? He doesn't get a name because he doesn't do anything. So let's keep reading. So I thought I would tell you, buy it in the presence here, redeem it. Tell me I may know, for there's no one besides you to redeem it. I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Verse 5. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabitess. They come together. There's a package deal here. You get the girl. 
the widow of the dead in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. So here is the deal. The best we can understand it is the law in Israel was that if a guy dies and he doesn't have a heir to take over the land, his close relative, his older brother, younger brother, whatever, marries the widow. They have children. He buys the land. He raises the children as if they're his. And then the children take over the land, and he takes a pretty good financial hit. Because he raises these kids, he marries the girl, and he buys the land, and then he has to give it all back. It's not a bad system. Boaz was willing to do it. This guy was not. The text doesn't tell us why. It could have been he'd already done it three times. We do, just don't know. There's a little hint in the fact that we don't get his name. There's just a little hint there. This guy's never mentioned. So let's keep reading. I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. And we're going, yes, yes, Boaz, Ruth. Oh, it's going to be a great wedding. Let's get the decorations going. Verse 7. Now, this was a custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the field the hand of Naomi, all that belonged to Elimelech, and all that belonged to Chilion and Malan, and also Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malan, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off among his brothers, and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah. They had a lot of kids. Remember Rachel and Leah? That whole story from Genesis? Who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem, in Israel. Ephrathah, just Israel. And be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Read Genesis 38. We won't go through that story, but read it. They had kids. Because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, she became his wife. He went into her. They slept together, and the Lord gave her conception. She was married 10 years to the other guy, about, and never had a kid. The Lord gave her. Does this remind you of anyone? God kind of does this. He reminds us of stories. This should remind you of Abraham and Sarah. The Lord gave her conception. This should remind who? Who else was it? Oh, there was that lady Hannah. Hannah. She's coming up. And who else is coming up? The conception thing. And the, we got Elizabeth and John the Baptist. And then finally, last but not least, we've, we've got Mary, the mother of Christ. The Lord gave her conception. This, this, this just has to give you a little bit of anticipatado of what is coming and what has happened. It just reminds you, the Lord has plans. The Lord has plans. And it just so happened that she went into the field. And it just so happened that he gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, someone who came to your home and rescued your home, and your husband's name from oblivion. May he be renowned in Israel. May your redeemer be renowned. May Boaz be renowned. He shall be to you. And here it is. Remember I told you at the beginning that word shuv is going to show up in chapter 4? There it is. Restorer of life. May he be a shuver of life to you. That's why I say the book is about Naomi and her faith. Because she starts bad attitude and at the end she's just like, whoa. I, I mean, don't raise any hands, but would anyone give up a husband and a couple of sons if you knew, if you knew that the Lord Jesus Christ would eventually come from your womb? That was his plan. That was his plan. Let's keep reading. A nourisher of your old age for your daughters-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Verse 16, Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. She helped 
taking care of this child. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. Huh. And they named him Obed. He was a father of Jesse, the father of King David. Now these are the generation of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, and Hezron fathered Ram, and Ram, all these names. Fathered Aminadab, and Aminadab fathered, most of them we don't know much about, but some of them we do. Nashon fathered Salmon, and Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed, and Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered King David. This is a great story, isn't it? You know, sometimes when I'm teaching, I tell the pastors, read the text, read the text, read the text, for several reasons. God works through his word. Jeremiah 1.12, he's watching over his word to perform it. So no matter how bad your sermon is, and many times they'll be bad, just get over it. Get over it, all you pastors in the room. We just give bad sermons sometimes. It's okay. But if you read the text, this is the voice of God right here. This is the voice of God. That's why I read so much today. I was not sure about my sermon, but I was sure about the text. I'll tell you that. You know, if there's anything you do, read the text, study the text, grind the text of the Bible into your soul. God is watching over his word to perform it. Isaiah 55, as rain and snow come down from heaven, so shall my word, which goes forth from my mouth, it's going to do what I want it to do. So read the text, read the text, read the text, study the text, look at the text. Um, on Fridays, my wife and I, that's our date morning, and some of you maybe have the same date we have, we go to Costco. That's our date morning. And, you know, we get um, a hot dog and a Coke. For, it's a buck and a half. It's a great date. We love it. We enjoy it. So sometimes we have a list, and we go to Costco, and we check off our list. And, but there's other days, like last Friday, or whenever we went, maybe it was Monday, whenever we went last, I said to her, you know, honey, we have to go down every aisle because we're going to forget what we need. And so what you do, does anyone else do this? All right, bless you, bless you. There's a wise man in your midst. So what we do is we go down every aisle and we just look. Now, most of the time, this is not good. Window shopping is not good. I'm not endorsing it because you find things you don't really need and you buy it and there's buyer's remorse and then your wife or your husband finds out what you've done and you're in trouble. It's just not a good thing. However, in this case, we had Thanksgiving coming up. I'm headed to India soon. I'm headed to Africa. i have got all these things and we just, so I said, honey, we just have to go down every aisle. And so you go down the aisle and you see windshield wipers. Oh yeah, the civic needs, you grab them. And, and this happened, anybody else? Good for you, good for you. Read the Bible the same way. Now, I know Leviticus has a bad name, and so does Numbers. But it's like going down the aisles of Costco. You're going to go down the aisle, and you're going to look at it, you're going to look at it, and then something's going to happen. You know what? I need that. So you underline it. You underline that aisle, and you make note of where that is. And you start thinking about it, and the Lord speaks to your soul, and he grinds it in. You grind it with him, and it's just, you work it around, you're thinking about it. I, I've got these verses that I just can't get over. I'm just thinking about them. Psalm 86 this morning. It was, it, turn to Psalm 86. I just want to remind myself. Psalm 86. It's a great psalm. Ah, there's the verse. 86, 11. The whole, I, I've got most of this psalm underlined, by the way, because I needed the whole thing. There's some aisles in Costco that like that, aren't they? You almost get everything from that aisle. You just go, oh, I need this. Oh, woo, this, this. And the thing gets up, and 800 bucks later, you check out. Look at this, Psalm 86. The last, the last phrase, unite my heart to fear your name. Lord, I want every single little nook and cranny of my heart to live in the fear of you. That doesn't necessarily mean afraid. It means you find your refuge in him and your security in him and you love him and you serve him. Unite my heart, every little bit of my heart. 
Just think about that. I've been thinking about that today. I should have been thinking about Ruth, but it just, it just grabbed my heart this morning. So just, you know, just let the scriptures grab your heart. All right. We're going to talk about chesed and how to be a person like Ruth and Boaz. You're only going to get it if you know Christ. All right? If you don't know Christ, if you don't love him, and I, I, I'm not talking about praying a prayer. I'm, I'm talking about loving Christ. That, that one day you were serving yourself in your sin, and then something happened. It was the washing, the regeneration, and renewing of the Holy Spirit. And you saw Christ for all he was, and you go, what is wrong with me? And you turn from your sin, and you turn to Christ. You believe. You they, they come simultaneously. It doesn't mean you get totally cleaned up, but that, then later on you're looking, why did I do that? That's really stupid. That's not good. Ooh, I don't even want to do that anymore. These kinds of things happen the longer you're a Christian. You, you, just, you just love him. You just love him. Paul says at the end of 1 Corinthians, cursed, if, if you don't love the Lord, you're cursed. So the essence of being a Christian, you, you love Christ. You have feelings for him. Yes, yes, you understand that he died for you and, and that his, his death washes you from your sin and makes you fit for him. But the prize of the Christian life, the prize isn't heaven. The prize is him. You get Jesus. And if, if, if what I'm telling you right now is foreign to you, um, you just need to pray and ask him. Just say, I went down that aisle. I went down the John 3.16 aisle, and nothing really jumped out at me. So I guess I'm going to go down the aisle again, and I'm going to look at this. And I'm going to say, you know what, Tim and Lisa and these other people, they talk about this aisle. They just love this aisle. I've never pulled anything out of this. But there's got to be something here. If they, You know what? I noticed. I noticed there's these people at this church, and they act like Boaz and Ruth. They've got this commitment and this loyalty and this friendliness. They're just different. And what they're telling me is they got it down this aisle. And John 3.16, For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, that everyone who believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. They, they know me and they love me and they keep telling me. So I guess I better go down this aisle and take a few of them with you. What do you see there? I don't see it. And they'll pray for you, and you pray for yourself. And then something happens. Something happens, and you become a person like Boaz, who sees this foreigner, this person that's different, lowest on the scale, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and says, come, I'll take care of you. Come, glean. I'll even give you extra stuff. You know why? You know why Boaz is able to do that? Because he got it from God. He got chesed from God. He got it from God. So once you get it from God, then you just want to give it to other people. And it doesn't matter who you give it to. Because, because, and, and this is, I think this is the key to living the Christian life day by day by day. You never forget. You never forget that grace is amazing and that grace saved a wretch like you. You can't get over that. And it always has to give you shivers in the back of your head. Let me read. Amazing, amazing grace. Not boring grace. Not, I have read John 3.16 a hundred times. I, I know it, I know it, I know it. No, it's amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the grace of Christ saved a wretch like you? If you really believe it in your heart and you feel it and you know it, then God is pouring out his chesed on you. And only then can you be a Boy Scout. It's, it's just not going to happen. We, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. There's another one, and it's on page 95. Turn to page 95 in your hymnals. <clears throat> I, you know, I was afraid to bring this up here because I knew what would happen. It always happens. Where's our hymnals? Well, <laughs> call me. 
I'll give you one. You can have one at home. You can sing at home. You know what? By the way, this is just an aside. I can, I can, I, when, when we come back here, it is just like a little piece of heaven. To sing, to see the facility, to see the love of God here. You, you, you have no idea what you have here. I'm just telling you. With Tim and Lisa and Ramey and all the other folks, it's just, you have no idea what you have. Okay? And I've been around the block a little bit. You have no idea what you have. This is a little piece of heaven. Listen to this. Listen to this hymn. Alas, and did my Savior bleed? And did my sovereign die? Question mark. Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Do you believe that? I mean, you don't, you don't have to sit there and you know how some people are? They just, oh, I was such a worm. And rehearse it. No, but you look back and you see, and like Ezekiel 36, you, you, I, I forget the wording there, but, but after he says, you're going to look back and see your wretchedness. You go, oh, and then you're going to press on forward. You're going to press forward to the upward call, the prize of God in Christ Jesus. So that's how you get it. And then you follow Christ. Mark 10.45, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So when your church gathers, just think to yourself, I am not here so that I can you know, sing my cool songs that I like and people can fawn over me. No, I'm here to serve. I'm going to find someone and I'm going to listen to them. Listening is the best way to encourage someone. Just be interested in them. Be interested in them. Listen to them, and don't tell your own stories. I remember I, I had surgery on my knees, and um, I was kind of hobbling around my crutches, and people would come up to me and they would say, how are you doing, Pastor? And I would start to tell them about my knee, and they said, you know what? When I had my knee surgery, and for the next 10 minutes, I heard about their knee surgery, which I was, I was happy to hear about. But um, listen, 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 listen. God will give you grace. New Testament Hesed, which is Hesed on steroids, remember. He's going to give it to you so that you can give it away. And so find, find the new person. Find the person that doesn't have anyone to talk to. And just go over and be their friend. It's, it's a blessed thing to do. If you want to be blessed as you leave, come with the thought of, I'm here to serve. And I'm here to find the outcast. I'm here. In, in fact, do that in your neighborhood. Do that at your workplace. Do that at school. Find the outcasts. There's plenty of them. There's, uh, I, was, I was at the gym the other day, and this fella, and, and I probably know half the people at my gym. I go there a lot, and I'm there to meet people and to share Christ with them. And this fellow fell over, and he's not breathing, and they called the paramedics, and it was bubbling, and they had the AED, and they shocked him, the whole thing. But as I thought, as I prayed for him, that he not die, and it turns out he probably had a heart attack, but you know, hopefully he made it, is I didn't know him. I didn't know him. Why didn't I know him? I don't know. Christians, we, we have the secret. We have the secret. And there's down and outers. There's people like Ruth. There's, they're all over the place. God calls us just, just to do what he did for us. You know what? You would have... You would never know Christ if it was left to you. You would not. I would not know Christ. I would not have, I would not have the wonderful family that I have without Christ. I, I wouldn't have health. I wouldn't have anything without him. And there's a whole world out there of disaffected people that are estranged, that have difficulties. Um, and, and we got the secret. And it's a great thing to know Christ and to love him with all your heart and to serve him with all that you have. And, and, and we're just the happiest people in the world. Is there anyone happier than a Christian? I mean, I, I, I can go to India or Africa and die, and I don't, I don't really care. I get, to, I get to be with Christ if I die. Does anybody else have anything like that? We don't. We don't. So I think my exhortation this morning to us, to myself, from the book of Ruth, is 
there is a world of people who need Christ. And they're all from Moab. Some of them are down and out. Some of them may have, you know, the, I, I've got friends at the gym and they're rich. I mean, I don't even know what they're doing in a 24-hour fitness, frankly. <laughs> it's nine bucks a month. But they're rich. They don't think they need Christ. They need him in the worst way. So I'm just their friends. One of these days, they're going to need him. One of these days, the money's going to, you know, whatever. But there is a world of people who, and, and the church is the place. The church is the place, man. You invite them here. Invite, invite those folks here. and just, just show them the grace and the love of Christ. It's just the only way to live. The church, the church, I think Tim told me I'm done pretty soon. Oh. I, I can't say enough about the church. It is the one institution that God has left us to do his work in this world. And just like Ruth, remember what she says in chapter 1? Your God will be my God, your people, my people. You make that your mantra. The people here at, at Lancaster Evangelical Free Church, <laughs> Trinity. I have the name here. Sorry. Trinity Community Church. The people here. The people here are the best people in the world. They know Christ. And if, if you want to, until the day of your death, if, if you want to be in the will of God and to doing the good things that God wants you to do and be filled with his grace, you stick with this group. It's a good group. I mean, I look out there, most of you I don't know, but man, I see the Sestons. I see the Crumb Rice. I see Bob and Judy. I see Joanne Sadler. You know what? This is a place to be. You stick here. It's a good place. It's the church. Let's pray. Our good and gracious Father in heaven, you've given us the Lord Jesus Christ, and then you've given us each other in the church. How blessed we are. Father, I give you thanks for those who've been here for decades. Their commitment, their love, just, just like Ruth. Your people are their people. The God of the universe is their God. And this is this is a supernatural place where the grace of God is poured out. So, Father, I ask, I ask that you would continue to pour out your grace on the elders and the leaders, on Tim and Lisa, Ramey and Jennifer, all the folks here. Just, just, Father, pour out your goodness to them in abundant ways. And may the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ go from here for decades to come in powerful ways. May the, the lampstand of the glory of the gospel shine forth from Trinity Community Church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.